The format of this meeting is two 10-minute speakers, followed by our information break, and then our main speaker, who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Rachel. Hi, everyone. My name is Rachel, and I am an alcoholic. Um, I'm going to launch right in since it's 10 minutes. Um, I came into the rooms in 2017. Um, I was sober for 14 months, relapsed, and didn't get back into the rooms until May of this year. Um, so it's a long and windy road, <laughs> as I'm sure you can understand. Um, a little bit of background about me, um, I came from an alcoholic home. My dad would drink up to a gallon of vodka and red wine a day, and he was very scary, and I was very uncomfortable being around him. Um, my mom, she subjected me to a form of child abuse called Munchausen by proxy, if you're not familiar with that form of abuse, it's typically when the mother intentionally poisons their children in order to receive attention from the healthcare system, friends and family, etc. I bring that up because my first drink was at three years old, along with other substances. Um, I had no ability to combat her strength. She would, um, like, locked me in a closet, wouldn't let me out until I drank what she gave me, and a lot of other gruesome details that um, I guess you can use your <laughs> imaginations for. Um, I bring this up because for the longest time before I came into the rooms, I believed that my trauma and my PTSD was not only the reason why I drank, but gave me the permission to drink the way that I was drinking. Um, in fact, people would say, let Rachel drink. She had a really bad childhood. And I was like, thank you, you're right. <laughs> um, and the abuse stopped when I was 16, when I was starting to rebel. Um, and instead of learning the lesson that I should probably refrain from drinking, I took the reins of my own abuse. Um, it started small, in my mind, of just a bottle of wine a night. I felt French, Parisian, like I was, you know, a sophisticated drinker. It then evolved into a bottle and a half, two bottles, etc., etc. And it got to the point where I was drinking so much that um, when I was, I believe, 28 years old, I wound up in a psych ward, <laughs> of course. And... Um, I asked the nurses if I was an alcoholic. They said, no, you have untreated PTSD. And I was like, score, I can keep drinking, perfect. Um, and then um, there was a party that I attended. Um, it was my uncle's 60th birthday party. It was not meant to be a rager, but of course I made it one. I, I fell down a flight of stairs in front of a boy I liked because I had beer goggles on and he was cute. And I woke up with bruises all over my body and went to AA the next day. Um, I wound up staying sober um, from June 2017 until September of 2018. My dad was put in home hospice. And instead of asking for help, instead of reaching out to people who I know would have taken great care of me, probably within a millisecond, I found a bottle of wine 
drank it within 15 to 20 minutes, under the false belief that one night drinking a lot is not bad. But what happens with that is that the seed is planted when you relapse. The seed is planted that, well, you've gotten sober before, so you can certainly get sober again. Um, so from 2018 to 2022, I drank like it was my profession. And I want to talk about the progression. I was someone who drank at night, sophisticated. Um, and then one day, I was like, I'm feeling a little funny. I hear hair of the dog is a really good remedy to feeling hungover. So I was just going to have one beer, and that was it. That beer turned into, um, I think, about 16 beers. And then, of course, woke up the next day hungover, and I was like, oh, God, hair of the dog, here we go. And um, did it again, and was in a bender for 10 weeks, um, morning, noon, and night. And I do want to... I mean, everyone's body metabolizes alcohol differently. This is just my experience. Um, I was shaking all the time. I was sweating. I was vomiting. I was extremely paranoid. Um, but I was containing it within the home, so no one knew. Um, I thought I was like this like secret agent drinker that um, I could get away with what I was doing, even though I was unbelievably miserable unbelievably miserable, but I didn't know how to stop. And um, the last day of my bender, um, I, I'm a writer, and I was invited to a very um, prestigious writing gala, and I was like, well, I don't want people to think I'm a drunk, so I'm going to put whiskey in Diet Coke and say it's Diet Coke. As I'm sure you can imagine, when you have somewhere between 10 and 15 whiskey and Diet Cokes, the circus arrives, um, and I spilled drinks on writers that I admired. I spilled drinks on myself. I tripped, hit my nose on the ground, and made a ridiculous joke about it. And everyone was like, "She, we need to excuse her from the premises." <laughs> um, I woke up the next day without any memory of how I got home. And the funny thing about it, I was so consumed with anguish, remorse, the demoralization that it's talked about in the book. Um, and I drank again that morning because I didn't want to get sick. It got to a point where it wasn't about getting drunk anymore. It was about not wanting to look like this, like, I don't know, just disturbed zombie. And after that drink, I called my sponsor, well, my now sponsor, and I said, I can't stop drinking. I don't know what to do. And she graciously took me on as a sponsee. And she taught me, well, the book teaches us, but she reiterated to me that what makes me an alcoholic is that when I put alcohol into my body, I don't know how many drinks I'm going to have. The phenomenon of craving is so severe that it's so difficult to combat. My thinking is also bizarre. I think that alcohol is going to make me feel better, but in, if anything, it gives me a lot more problems to work through. And the mental obsession that, you know, whether I'm drunk or I'm, you know, not drunk, um, I want it. And 
to be truthful, I still battle with that aspect of my disease. I, it's the holidays, and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, a hot toddy. Like, that would be so much fun. But let's remove the tea and the lemon and the honey. Um, <laughs> kind of my mentality there. Um, so I want to get into what my recovery has been looking like. So we went into step one immediately. I was adamant, yes, powerlessness, unmanageability, 100%. I mean, there's nothing manageable about hiding fireballs in your purse at work and going into the bathroom to consume them. Um, step two, I came in as an atheist, um, as some of us do. Um, so I had to start small. What I would do is say out loud, God, do you want me to drink? Or God, do you not want me to drink? And it didn't even take minutes. It took a millisecond for me to know that if there is a God, God does not want me to drink. God doesn't want me collapsing on cement floors and getting hematomas and drunk dialing. A lot of you people actually drunk dialed in my relapse. I'm sure you remember how thrilling our conversations were. Um, and then slowly but surely, I, I started to feel like as my esteem was building up, my relationship with God was getting stronger. Um, when you're rock bottom on the floor, it's a great time to ask for help. But when you start to find a little bit of dignity within yourself that you didn't know that you had, that tunnel, thank you, um, to God is light speed. Um, if you're struggling with a higher power, there are plenty of people in here who believe and if they believe, I promise you, you can find your way to that too. As for the step work, I'm on steps 9, 10, and 11 currently. Prayer and meditation is paramount for me to not just rapidly deteriorate within my own mind. Um, my mind is my mind. <laughs> and um, don't trust it very often. Um, I call my sponsor every single day. I write inventory because if I hold on to fears and resentments, I'm going to create a tornado effect that will eventually lead me to a drink because I've relapsed several times. I know what happens. And I, I guess I kind of want to conclude with this. It's important. Um, I don't really care if you got it right the first time, the second, the fourth, the fifth, the hundredth. Just keep coming back. You really never know when that next time you come in that it may very well could be your last time you ever have to do this again. Um, I'm so grateful to be here tonight, and happy holidays to everyone. And our second 10-minute speaker, Saul. Hi, my name is Sol. I'm an alcoholic. Uh, Atlantic Group is my home group. I'm very, very um, nervous right now. Um, Stacy is my sponsor. We're going through the steps again, and um, and I'm looking throughout the room, and I'm seeing a lot of faces that that have helped me. So I wanted to say thank you. Uh, you know, I I was nervous to speak because to tell you the truth, I. Uh, I was like, where are the promises? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, like, I'm 
Let me backtrack. Um, when I came into these rooms, I wanted very simple things. I wanted uh, maybe, a, you know, I wanted a nice woman in my life. I wanted uh, maybe to have kids one day. I wanted to hold on to a job. I wanted to have friends. And um, my, my plan was to, to attain these things. And, uh, you know, by working the, the steps and, 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 and listening to people in this room, I, um, I attained those things. Well, God gave me those things. I, I believe today that God gave me all those things. And, um, and, and what AA helped me to do was, like, it helped me to um, want to be a good man to that woman. It uh, helped me to be a good employee, a good friend, a good son. And uh, instead of wanting to, to have these, these things and people in my life, I wanted to be a part of theirs and be the best person I can be. Um, during that time, I was able to, uh, I don't know, uh, like I said, have those things. And, um, you know, I, 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 you know, a lot of people here know me, and they know that I, there was a time. Like, my sobriety date today is uh, March 22nd of 2022. Uh, I have eight months, but it's not my first sobriety date, and it's not even my second, and I don't want to keep on going. Uh, you know, um, I had, I had uh, some time. I had about close to five years, and uh, I was just reading with my sponsor, and we're, we're like, ominous, ominous warning was I had a sponsor at the time tell me, look at, look at the anniversary line, and you're going to see people between one year and ten years, but you're going to see a lot of years, but the five-year mark is usually not, there's not really that many there. And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was cool with that. I was like, all right, you know. But, um, you know, my life got really big. And um, I had a child, and I know that, that uh, I didn't lean into the program, and I didn't really uh, rely that I was going to be taken care of, and I wanted to take, I needed to make more money. And what happens is that I stopped coming here, I stopped listening, I stopped working with a sponsor, and eventually that man that I became for that woman uh, changed. I, um, you know, if you want to ask me how my program is, ask my wife. And um, there was a time in my life that she would say, like, he's great. And then lately, it's been, you know, um, he's, he's always angry. He's always angry, and, um, and he relaxes a lot. You know, so the um, the pattern for me lately, and in, in after you know, for the last four years, five years, has been a man that that actually relapses, goes through a certain period of time drinking, small one, and then uh, comes out apologetic. I'm so sorry, and this will never happen again. I don't want to do this. I come to AA, and then I relapse again, and uh, and then, and then. Um, and then there's the anger as well. So I'm very rageful and angry, and, and I don't know. It's like, I, I, like, I'm going through the worst time of my life because of my actions, because of my consequences. And I have to remember that, like, and this is because of you guys, that I don't blame anyone but myself today. I'm not beating myself up, but um, today, 
I'm going through a divorce. I've lost custody to my children. I have a restraining order against everyone, you know, and, um, and it's been a really, really hard time, you know, very hard time for me. But, uh, but I, I, I've made a decision, right, that everything that's happening is for a reason. And I learned this through you guys, right? So that rage and that anger that I had and that pattern that was going over and over again, I was affecting my kids with that. So, you know, I really want to believe that maybe God intervened and, 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 and had me out of there. My, well, my wife got me out of there. <laughs> but, uh, and, and um, I don't know, it's been, it's been really hard. But at the same time, things happen for a reason, I want to feel. And um, today, I'm going through the worst. <laughs> I'm first, I'm going, I'm, I, this is horrible. I'm going through the worst part of my life. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going nuts. And it's all because I've made a decision. I, I've talked to Stacy and he talks about making a decision on a constant. Every day I make a decision that, that I'm going to be okay. Every day I make a decision that everything that's happening right now is for a reason. And like I said before, it was, maybe it was to help my son. You know, I was, I was traumatizing him with my anger, with my rage, with, with the, the relapsing. And um, look, I can't fathom to even think of how it looks like to be out there drinking and not seeing my kids. And I don't see them as much now. I'm starting to FaceTime with them and that's been great, but the truth is, is that I haven't seen them in eight months. Again, these are my consequences because of my actions when I drink. And this is what happens. I give everything away. Nothing's taken, but everything is given away because I pick up a drink, you know? And um, I want to get better. I want to be a, a good man for my children, and I, and I have to stay sober. And, uh, and I want to stay sober, right? So what I'm doing today is um, it's very simple. It's, it's really, really talking to my sponsor, Having my friends in, in the program, you guys helped me so much. I mean, th there's been so many people that I can mention, but um, you know, Nick is one of those people that, that I, I love with all my heart because, God, I called him one day when I, woke, when I woke up. I came to with the idea that, you know, I'm either going to keep drinking and never see my kids, and um, I couldn't, I, I, I didn't want to deal with that. So I, I um, Eight months ago, I went to rehab, and since then I've been, like I said, I'm in a, and I'm in sober, I'm sober living right now, uh, thanks to a good friend of mine, Jimmy, and um, I'm, I'm really, I'm just trying my best, you know, it's been really hard. I don't, I, I don't know what to say to tell you the truth because the, uh, as far as the promises, I can't really sit here and well stand here and say that you know things are, are, are great and things are, you know, and this is the happy ending because there's not one right now. But the truth is, is that I'm sober today. And the only reason I'm sober is because of AA and you guys. Uh, I have a sponsor. I'm, I'm trying my best, like I said. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I'm really like, I'm, I'm probably messing this up. But um, I've messed up a lot of things. But, uh, you know. The only, thing, the only thing I can say is that uh, 
I'm very, I'm very grateful uh, today. And, and you know what, like, like my sponsors told me today, he was like, what are you grateful for? You know, because uh, sometimes I, I go down this, this, like, this like rabbit hole, like everything is horrible, you know? And, and the truth is, is that I, have, I can make the decision, right? Again, either to, to choose that God is everything or God is nothing, and it's my choice. So if I choose that God is everything, then I'm relying that everything that's happening right now is for a reason. And if I'm going to get better, then, and, and I'm doing it for myself, but I also am doing it for my children, that I can be there for my two boys. I have two children. I have to remember that. And, um, and I'm going to be the best father I can be one day to them. Um, but the only way I can do that is by being sober. If I, if I don't have sobriety, I have nothing. And the only reason that I'm sober today and I'm, and I'm standing here in front of you not drinking is because of God and you guys. Thank you. Our main speaker tonight is Felicia. I'm Felicia, I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is May 15th, uh, 1995. My sponsor is Stephanie P. This is my home. And uh, I live in 10, 11, and 12 most days when I get out of my own way. Okay. All right. What it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. First, I would like to say it's an honor and privilege to speak at any meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and thank you, Matt, for inviting me to speak. Um, at the end of my drinking, I really wasn't invited to go anywhere. I was actually invited to stay away uh, strongly, so being invited to be somewhere and to actually open my mouth is kind of cool. Okay. Um, so, you know, my story began when I was really young, I'm an only child of two crazy parents. Um, I was abused in every way that you could be an abu can be abused as a child. And I tell that part of my story because that's what I said at the bar stool, right? Or anywhere that anyone would listen. I drank because of the horrible things that happened to me. I want to be really clear. I drink because I'm a drunk. I am a garden variety alcoholic, and it took me a really long time to figure that out. But the thing is, like, I have an allergy to strawberries. I don't go and sit at the produce section and cry because I can't have a strawberry. I had one anaphylactic event when I was young, maybe 20, and, um, which is young to me now. And, and what happened is I was taken to the hospital. I almost died. That was enough for me. And a lot of people have said to me, look, you were drinking and using other substances. Maybe it wasn't even the strawberries. Why don't you try again? And I'm like, no, thank you. Not necessary. See, the reason I tell that story is because that wasn't my experience with alcohol. My allergy to alcohol is different. It's not just physical. It's mental. It's spiritual. It's the whole shooting match. And so I can't just stop like I can with a strawberry. Like, abstinence works there. It doesn't work with alcohol. The more I stay away from it, the more I want, unless I have a spiritual solution. So <clears throat> I picked up my first drink when I was 10, but I want to talk about how I show up in untreated alcoholism. So I was 12 years old. 
and my mom threw me down the stairs and that it was not an unusual experience. But the thing is, I didn't understand at 12 years old anything about character defects and the way I showed up in the world. And the thing is, there are kids, unfortunately, that get abused. They don't do what I did. See, what I did is I stole my mom's cigarettes, I stole her booze and drank it, and then I stole her car keys. Because you see, what happens to me as a human being when I'm not in a spiritual solution is I'm going to retaliate against you, I'm going to hate you, and I'm going to get even. Right? Because I deserve it. I'm entitled. So what I was entitled to was to, in my brilliant brain, put four other kids in the back of this car who were all my age or younger, and I drive that car into a house. Now the thing is, when I was eight years old, I got on my knees and I got a divorce from God. I filed, I moved away, um, and we were done. And I picked up quickly after that and drove a car into a house. This is what I do in untreated alcoholism. I am dangerous to myself and to others because I don't care about you. And the thing is, I don't care about me either except about what I can get from you and what I can get over on you. So what I didn't understand, because I had gotten this divorce from God, is that there was a higher power that I choose to call God working in my life because nobody in that car died and nobody in that house died. And I had no concept at 12 years old what a miracle that was. I just did what I do. I walked away from my mess and I kept drinking and I moved on. And my drinking looked like this. I drank, I got drunk, I threw up. I drank some more and then I blacked out. And then all bets were off because when I drink, I turn my will and my life over the care of alcohol. And it tells us in the big book to talk about our story in a general way. I basically turned my will, my life, and my body over to the care of alcohol. And the things that happen to you when you do that happen to me. And they happened often. And so I fast forward, I did a lot of geographics. And when I was 20 years old, I had the onset of liver disease. Um, and I was in a lot of trouble. So what did I do? I liked to wear my running shoes. So I ran away to Indianapolis, Indiana. And my plan, and I, I really thought I had a plan here, was I was going to stop drinking. I was going to find a nice boy. And it was called going to be okay because I would put this this hole kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I was just going to put a human being in that hole and we were going to be okay yeah, that didn't happen 48 hours later I was half naked on top of a bar in Indianapolis Indiana and it stayed that way for two years um, when I was 16 years old I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous decided it wasn't for me and went in and out for the next 11 years so now I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. Two years of that nonsense goes on. And I come home one night, and I'm alone in this apartment. There is not another soul in this apartment when I tell this story. So I come in. I don't know what time I came in. I come to, because I'm not sleeping anymore, and I'm not waking up. I'm passing out and coming to. And it was the usual, I'm missing assorted parts of clothing and jewelry, and I've got vomit on me, and this, is, this does not shock me or scare me because this is my life now, because I passed into a certain point where this is just how my life was. Just was it. But on this particular day, I was disgusted with myself, and I just decided I was done. And I swear to you, 
swear to everybody in this room on everything I have, I meant it when I said I was never going to drink again. Pounded on the table, spoke out loud to a room where nobody else was, and said I'm never doing this again. Funny thing happened. I took a shower, put on real clothes, ate a real meal, got some real sleep in a bed, and all of a sudden, somewhere around 11 o'clock that night, I was completely unable to recall the demoralization and the life I had been living up until that moment. And the lie that happened for me was, tonight's going to be different. I'm going to drink like a lady. I, I don't know what that means. Maybe it meant I was going to keep my clothes on. I don't know. But none of that happened because the same thing happened. I vomited. I blacked out. I was a hot mess because that was my life. And whenever that would happen, I would run back to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I would collect big books like they were coasters. But see, here's the thing. You guys wouldn't reach in and fix me, so poo on you. Because you were the solution. You were going to... See, I thought it was an outside job, and I couldn't understand that it was an inside job. And I didn't want to do any work. And I didn't want to give up alcohol, because alcohol was my oxygen. And you wanted me to give it up, and you talked about God and all these other things, and I was like, thank you, I'll pass. So me and my little etch-a-sketch of a brain moved back to New Jersey. Um, I've cycled through a ton of jobs, so on and so forth. Fast forward a little bit more. My best friend calls me. She's pregnant. She's getting married. Please come to the wedding. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do anything stupid, right? Wrong. Go to the wedding. I miss her vows. And sorry, but there are no nine steps in the world that can fix that. Um, I'm disruptive at the, at the reception. It was a mess. It was a disaster. Fast forward a few weeks later. Now I don't drink, therefore I can't show up for the baby shower. A non-alcoholic doesn't understand that if an alcoholic is in the state that I was in, that alcohol not in my body makes things worse. I wasn't drunk that day. I was dysfunctional because I didn't have my solution inside of me, and I was on the floor sucking my thumb like a lunatic. It doesn't matter. I wasn't there. Fast forward a few more months, christening, go, don't drink. We all know how that ends, right? I went, I drank, I threw up on the baby, and it was a disaster. Okay, guys, we all have that story. <laughs> I, I'm just brave enough to tell it from the podium, because there's a point here. And here's the point. I drank for two more years. This is the difference between my allergy to strawberries and my allergy to alcohol. Two more years, I continued to drink burned my entire life to the ground. There was nothing left. Nothing. Um, I'm basically sleeping in a crack house in um, Hoboken, New Jersey, because I think I'm better than them. This is what my life has come to. And, you know, it was who I was. And I had no friends. I was about to lose yet another job. And I decided I was going to kill myself. 
and I go to New York City and I stand ready to throw myself under a city bus. And this is what a selfish creature I can be. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to kill myself. I'm going to go to a meeting. It's not going to work. And then everybody's going to feel bad because they didn't do more to try and fix me. Because remember, it's about you guys. If you had just been nicer to me, if you had just said the magic word, I would have stopped drinking and it would be okay. And you wouldn't tell me the magic secret. And what's really funny and sad is I was that person. I would go to meetings. I would drink in the bathroom. I was disruptive at meetings. You never made me leave. Now, the caveat to that story is there are times that you walked me outside of the meeting and you gave me my own little personal private meeting because I really didn't belong amongst human beings. Um, as my best friend will tell you, I was an animal. It's really cool when your best friend turns to you and tells you that. Um, but it was true. That's who I am when I drink. And I don't have to be that way today. So what happened? What happened is I didn't throw myself clearly under that city bus. Um, I'd been seeing a psychiatrist for two years. He's like, you're crazy, I can help you, but you need to go to AA and get sober first. Because of AG's rules, I can't tell you exactly what I said to him. Use your imagination. <laughs> and I paid a lot of money that I didn't have in stole to like, get that information. <laughs> it was not pretty. Um, and I made amends for all that. A lot of work to do when I got sober. And so I walked into a room called the Beginner's Room at City Corp Center. And I don't know why I walked into that room, and I don't know why I put my hand up, and I don't know why I walked up to the speaker. Well, say I do know it was God's grace. But I didn't know at that moment what was happening. I just felt like there was something moving me. And that's something I've come to learn as God's grace. And so I go up to the speaker. I'm covered in vomit, missing certain things. I did not show up pretty to these rooms, like not at all. And um, what happens is she wrote her name in the big book, handed me the big book, and said, if you want what I have, read the first 164 pages and call the number that I wrote here in the book, and I'll help you. Funny thing, I got a defective big book. The words wouldn't hold still. I didn't realize that I was detoxing. And I was a hot mess, and I called her crying a couple of days later and said, I want what you have, but I can't read these pages. The words won't hold still. I thought I was going to die at that point. And the truth is, for those two years that I kept drinking, I wanted to die every day. And now I had this moment where I kind of wanted to live, and I didn't know what to do. She took my hand and took me through the big book, read me line by line, word by word. And the first year of my sobriety was incredibly painful and incredibly worth it. And if you are new or you're struggling, I promise you it gets better. I could not see that in the mess that I was. Um, so the way my journey started is I surrendered, right? It took the first step. Second step, we had a problem because there was no God. And if there was a God, he certainly didn't believe in me. So what are we going to do about that? So I was blessed to have a sponsor who cared more about my life than about being my friend. 
And she turned to me and she looked at a chair and she said, you could turn your will and your life over to the care of that chair and it would make better decisions than you. Because I promise you, it won't get in a car and drive into a house. I cried. She hurt my feelings. She was mean. But she was right. And that moment when you're sitting with somebody and you're getting that kind of truth, I choked on that. Like, that was hard. But I listened, sort of, because see, alcohol did for me what no human being could do. It beat me into a state of reasonableness, which for me meant that my ears opened and my mouth closed and I did what I was told. And if she had told me to do cartwheels in the middle of the highway, I would have done it. I lose that gift of desperation as I get older in sobriety and I have to be beaten back into a state of reasonableness. And I am lucky to this day to have a sponsor that is louder than my disease. Because my disease can be super loud. So we get to the third step and I say the words and my sponsor just kept telling me, believe that I believe. And my prayers, because I didn't want to do prayers, I didn't want any of this. You know, she had to explain to me the difference between having a spiritual experience and religion. God and religion aren't the same thing. Higher power religion, not the same thing. You had to beat it over my head with the big book. Like, it was really hard for me to understand very simple concepts. Um, Because as I got more separated from alcohol, I kind of got my spirit and my spunk back, and that was a bad thing. Um, That was not good for anybody. And my sponsor had me do a tremendous amount of service. And I had a terrible fear of people. And there was a large meeting, not as large as this one, um, but a large meeting in New York City. And she had me sign up to be a greeter. And I greeted people like this. You all had lovely shoes. I knew all your shoes. Um, But eventually, my eyes kind of kept going up and up and up. And I eventually could meet your eyes. That would come a little bit later. Um, I did the fourth step. And I thought the world was going to swallow me up. And from the time I walked into the rooms that day and saw her speak, a few days later I said, you know, I've done so many bad things. I I can't fix them. Like, there are things that I did that can't be fixed. And she said, look down at your feet. So I did. She's like, you're not in the ninth step. You're in the first step. Stay put. Do what you're told. It was kind of that simple, so I did what I was told. So I do four, I do five. You know, my surprising thing with five is the world didn't open up and roses didn't fall from the sky. I was still in a lot of pain. A lot of people wouldn't still talk to me, but I felt like like a mustard seed better. And my eyes kind of came up a little bit, and I could kind of go to coffee. Like, that was a big thing. I could sit down and have a cup of coffee with another human being. And here was the thing. Like, I told this sponsor some really horrible stuff. She didn't hate me. And, like, the sky didn't open up and lightning bolts didn't come down. And I really was that dramatic. Like, I thought that was going to happen. And, you know, she, she looked at me with love and compassion and care. And for the things that she didn't have direct experience with, she sent me to people that do. And what I can promise you is 
If I don't know how to help you, somebody in this room does. They've lost the child, they've had the divorce, they lost the job, whatever it is that you can think of, it's happened here. And somebody will help you. You just have to be patient and find your person. And you have to open up your mouth and talk. Um, the other thing I came in here, um, and as we get to six and seven was really important because I was a pathological liar when I walked through these doors. I tried to convince you this guy was purple. Like, I, the truth and I did not have a relationship. And it wasn't, I thought coming to AA was about getting separated from alcohol. Like, that's where I thought it stopped. <laughs> I was so wrong. I was in so much pain when the alcohol went down. I had to have that spiritual experience. And I had the educational variety. And what I learned in six and seven was that I was a pathological liar and that every first thought that came into my head was going to be a lie. So I had to stop and ask my higher power. And for the first 10 years of my sobriety, I didn't use the word God. I used the word spirit of the universe that I got right out of the big book. Um, and I paused. I learned to pause. I learned that the first thing I was going to say was untrue. And that the second thing, I had a good shot that it could be close to reality. There you go. So... Then uh, we did eight and nine, and <laughs> that was fun. Um, you know, nine was hard for me because I was embarrassed and humiliated and all those other things, pride and ego, and I did it anyway, and some people accepted my amends and some people did not, and I had to be okay with that. Like, I had to be okay that that was my wreckage. Um, the beautiful part is... The baby I told you about, the christening, the throw-up, horrible, all that, yeah. Well, um, she had a baby, and I got to hold that baby. And that best friend is still my best friend, and I don't even know what I would do without her. Um, and I got to be at that little girl's wedding, and I was not trusted in the beginning with those children, and I understood that. I was not a trustworthy individual, and after a lot of time and a lot of showing up, and that's what AA is for me today. I suit up, I show up, I do what I'm uncomfortable with, and I do what I'm told. And um, I got to take her youngest autistic daughter across country, unsupervised. I wasn't allowed to take anybody across the street unsupervised. Um, and that is a gift of this program in each and every one of you. Um, so I survived nine. I have, I've made all my amends. There is one card that I carry around to this day of a person whose name I don't remember. Um, and perhaps God will decide that I do get to make that amends someday. And maybe not. But it lives in my purse and I revisit it often. And I just can't remember. Um, and we come to 10, 11, and 12. I'm going to divert a second. I, I did do all my steps. I did 10, 11, and 12. I take inventory every day. Um, when I lost my marriage, my job in 2019, um, and the pandemic hit, the triple threat of my life, um, I did so much inventory. I swear to you, I thought my fingers were going to fall off. They don't. It doesn't matter how much inventory you do. They stay put. Um, but what does go away is that pain. 
and that feeling that the walls are closing in on you. And I have tools today. Um, and so I want to talk a minute about my sixth year of sobriety. I was at a job, my sober job, that I held for 23 years. And I was at this pivot point where I was put in a special program. And what we didn't know when we went into this program was if, if you graduated from the program, that was great, and you got a promotion. And if you didn't graduate, you got fired and let go. Didn't know that. <laughs> and we were assigned mentors. And I had a big fight with my mentor that day, like wanted to scratch her eyes out, wish want to say a lot of things you don't say at this podium, but I was not a happy camper because she said a lot of things that I didn't want to hear and was giving me a lot of feedback that I didn't want to hear. And so I called who was my then sponsor and um, I whined and complained because with the sponsor that's what I did. And at that point I realized I, I learned the difference in that moment, I just didn't know it about the difference between being sponsored and having a sponsor. I had a sponsor. I wasn't open to being sponsored. And I was sort of running around like a crazy person. So I'm yelling and screaming and crying. And I thought everybody was gone. They were not. My mentor was standing not far behind me, behind a wall. And I had said very not nice things about her. That mentor's name was Becca. And Becca was a member Becca was a member of the Atlantic Group. And at that moment, I did not know. I had worked with Becca for a number of years at that point and did not know she was one of us. And, um, thank you. And um, Becca and I became very good friends. And Becca took me to the Atlantic Group. She was very smart. She didn't bring me to this room because she knew I would have run away. The first room she brought me to was a schoolhouse. And um, it was the Wednesday meeting. And then she brought me to Thursday, which at that point was upstairs and um, in this building. And I hated that meeting because you were all smiling. And I was six years sober and miserable. And I understood that I was miserable because I had gotten away from the things that had brought me here. I wasn't doing 10 and I wasn't doing 11 and I wasn't sponsoring anybody anymore. And I was living in my own head. So if you've been here a long time and you're in a lot of pain, talk to us. See, I wasn't talking to anybody. I wasn't telling them I was in pain. I was just grumpy and grouchy and not a lot of fun. And Becca saved my life. And I got a sponsor to be my sponsor for the next 15 years. Um, now I have an Atlantic Group sponsor. Now I come to Tuesday and I don't run away. Um, and when my son was born in 2004, um, Becca had gotten sick. And we talked for hours. And, you know, my life was just really starting again. And hers was ending. And it was on that slide to going away and going to the big meeting in the sky. And, um, and she meant the world to me. And I've been thinking about her all day today. And I know she's up there watching and telling me to get moving with my story. So moving along, um, 
The reason I tell that story is because you never know. I had no idea. You know, and she brought me here to see Clancy, and, and my sobriety changed dramatically. Um, I sponsor others now. I live in a solution. Uh, as I started to say, 2019, 2020, and 2021 were what I like to call my growing years. Um, I celebrated my 25th anniversary on a Zoom call with my sponsor and some people I love and um, lost my job, lost my marriage, and had a pity party. And that's when my best friend reminded me that when I drink, I become an animal. So I really probably don't want to do that. And that was tough to hear. And so I'm going to take you to Christmas. I believe it was 2020, 2020 um, before the pandemic took full effect. I'm at a Christmas party and I want to drink and I'm a mess and I'm a disaster. And I threw a temper tantrum that I'm not particularly proud of. And my best friend's brother, you know, grabbed my shoulders, turned my head and said, you know, I know what you're thinking and your children are right over there. You pick up a drink, you're not going to care about them. And I was pissed. I didn't want to be stopped. And I stomped out of there and I called my sponsor and I was not happy about calling my sponsor. But I did what I was told. That's an important part of the story because things got better and I was okay. And fast forward to New Year's Eve that same year, I'm at a house party of my best friend and I no longer want to drink and I'm doing inventory and I'm whatever and I'm doing what I'm told. And this woman comes in who I know and she's heading right for a drink. And I'm not sure what's going on, but I know that she's two years sober. And she gets grabbed by the back of the neck and gets taken outside. And a few minutes later, somebody grabs me, puts me outside and goes, this is your job, figure it out. And I sit down to talk to Sarah and she starts going off on me. And she's like, you've like 20 some odd million years sober. You don't know what it's like to want a drink. And I went, oh. Now it all makes sense to me. And I started laughing. And you know how when you're in pain and somebody in A la laughs at you? They're not laughing at you, I swear it. We're laughing because we get it. And so I laugh, and she was not happy about that. And thank God she didn't punch me. And, um, and I proceed to tell her what happened on Christmas Eve. And then we sit there and we talk for the next two hours. She doesn't drink that night. She's celebrated. I think she's coming up on five years now. And um, we went and did a 12-step call the next day. That is the power of this program. My kids have never had to see me drink. And I don't wake up wanting to die every day. You know, I got a new job. I've been there a year. I have a life today beyond my wildest dreams. Women I sponsor here and on Zoom, I have a life of purpose and usefulness. And... I am so incredibly grateful because I couldn't see this all. Like, I didn't get the plan. And it's, it's not, I'm not here because of me. I'm here because there's a God that works in my life that has something he wants me to say. And he's not done with me yet. And I'm incredibly grateful. And if you're here, stay. You never, ever, ever have to drink again. And I didn't believe that. 
Thank you.